live in one of the most religiously observant countries in the world. Many working-class communities and communities of color are rooted in religious traditions. Yet for over 40 years, the religious right has focused much of its energy on seizing control of religious narratives and institutions. This is Heart of a Heartless World, a podcast produced by the Religious Socialism Working Group of the Democratic Socialists of America, the largest socialist organization in the United States. Our goal is to amplify the voices of people of faith organizing for social, racial, environmental, and economic justice. You can follow Religious Socialism on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit our website at religioussocialism.org. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Multi-Faith Medicare for All Forum. I'm guessing that folks who have tuned in this evening are already aware of the big picture here, but we have 29 million people in this country who don't have health insurance at all. We've got tens of millions of other folks who are underinsured, meaning that they've got co-pays and deductibles that mean that they can't afford the care they need, which means people are not filling prescriptions. They're, they're cutting pills in half. They're, they're not going to their doctor's appointment. And folks who don't get their insulin, don't get their asthma inhalers, um, you know, they're, they're in pain, they're suffering, and, and sometimes the outcomes are even worse than a trip to the emergency room. So it's probably not surprising that the exit polling from this last election showed that the winner of the national election was Medicare for All. 72% of the people who voted said they support a Medicare for All program, which obviously means that there is a cross-section of folks from different political parties and all kinds of backgrounds who support that, which is so exciting tonight that we can hear from our panelists to talk about a multi-faith perspective on healthcare. Uh, my name is Fran Quigley. I'm your moderator this evening. I teach at Indiana University McKinney School of Law. I direct the Health and Human Rights Clinic there. And I am proud to be a member of both of the sponsoring organizations for tonight's conversation, the Central Indiana Democratic Socialists of America, the Religion and Socialism Committee, and also the Indianapolis chapter of Medicare for All Indiana. I wanna give a special shout out and thank you to the folks who put this evening together, Jesse Brown, Michelle O'Connor, Dr. A.J. Sinna and Barry Levitt, and all the other folks who worked hard behind the scenes to make this happen. And a special thank you to our panelists. You can put questions to our panelists. Um, there's gonna be a Q&A slot there at the bottom of your screen. And as time permits, we're gonna share as many of those questions with our panelists as we can. And we're gonna provide you with some poll questions, some resources to learn more, and some contact information for our sponsoring organizations. So let's get right to hearing from our panelists who we are so grateful to have them join us this evening. I'm gonna briefly introduce them and then they'll take turns responding to some questions uh, that I'll pose and hopefully we'll have some time for questions from you all as well. So our panelists are Reverend David W. Green Sr. who is the pastor of Purpose of Life Ministries and he is also the president of Concerned Clergy of Indianapolis. Rabbi Jordana Cherno-Reader, from the Indianapolis Hebrew Congregation. Hiba Kassim, who is a Muslim Medicare for All activist and a member of the DSA and part of the Congressional Progressive Caucus Center and Action Fund. And Father Charles Allen, who is an Episcopal priest and like me, a member of the Religion and Socialism Committee here at the Central Indiana DSA. 
So we've discussed this before, and Reverend Green is going to do the honors of responding first. I, the question for our first question for our panelists is this. Uh, we, could you start with sharing what your faith's scriptures and traditions have to say about what our moral obligation is in response to the suffering going on all around us of people who can't get access to the health care they need? Oh, I think you're still muted, Reverend Green. Sorry about that. Good evening, everyone. Uh, first, I want to thank our sponsors, our moderator, and the other panelists for allowing me to join you for this important uh, discussion that we're having tonight. I begin with our healthcare system is clearly under attack. Uh, I created a great deal of havoc when you look at pe people who are unemployed, underemployed, when we consider uh, people uh, who are poor, especially people of color. COVID-19 has exposed the racial inequities that have existed for decades now in our healthcare system. And this is almost had it been, it's been accepted as a normal when it shouldn't be. As a person of color, the healthcare inequities are alarming to me as black and brown people are six times more likely to die of our current virus, COVID-19. Uh, the racial disparities are alarming and without healthcare for all, these disparities will not change. As part of the Christian faith, we believe and know that healthcare is something that is necessary and should be experienced by all. Why? Because we believe in love, compassion, mercy, and that's something that should be experienced and made available to all people. The scriptures for that, there's numerous scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have stuff a uh, uh, verse like from Micah, the prophet, who said to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Or Jesus himself told us, love you one another. We've got to love one another. And love is an action word. That's how we are to be recognized with um, Christ, is that we love one another. And so healthcare is something this is that shouldn't be a pipe dream. It's something that should be real because of the compassion and love we have for all humans, especially the poor, the unemployed and the unemployed low-wage workers that we've deemed essential employees as a part of this pandemic, they need to have quality health care, paid sick days. They need to be more than just recognized or patted on the back for their sacrifices. They need quality health care. And Christians understand that we have a moral obligation to help them be able to receive those benefits. Thank you, Reverend Green. Uh, Rabbi Chernell Reeder, what about what about the Jewish tradition? Absolutely. And thank you. And thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. Um, you know, as the Reverend said, there are many um many references in, in what I call the Bible uh, that um, really does illustrate this point. And to me, one of the first things that came to mind is that throughout the Torah, there's all these lines about leaving the four corners of the, of the field open for the widow and the stranger and the orphan, you know, and really that to me is all about taking care of the people in the community who are in need. Um, and often when I'm teaching this text, I think about like, so what is our equivalent today? How can we, we most of us are not farmers, 
farmers anymore. Most of us don't have literal fields that we can leave open for people, but there are other structures in place and there should be other structures in place for us um, to help and care for the community, especially those um, most vulnerable. And often people are vulnerable because of health needs or become vulnerable due to a health need. Um, all the more important is for us to put those structures and those benefits and those things in place so everyone can be looked after at all stages of their lives. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Uh, Ms. Kassam, what about the, uh, what is the, the Islamic traditions here? Good evening. Um, first, I want to say thank you to the organizers and the panelists for this incredible event. Um, so I, I'd like to start off and echo what Reverend David Greed um, said about COVID-19 and the disproportionate impact it has had on communities of color and low-income communities. Healthcare is something that I have always been passionate about, and COVID-19 has made a stronger case as to why we need Medicare for all. Um, in the foundation of Islam, um, there's an obligation to ensure that everyone's basic needs are met. And one of the five pillars of Islam is zakat, which means to give charity. And that actually goes beyond charity and requires Muslims of means to contribute a significant share of their wealth for those in need. Um, and as we know, insurance companies are not doing that. Um, they are not sharing their wealth. Um, additionally, the teachings of the Quran and the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad insist that medical practitioners serve all of mankind, poor or rich, literate or illiterate, Muslim or non-Muslim, black or white, with patience and tolerance, with virtue and reverence, with knowledge and vigilance. And a well-renowned Islamic scholar, Imam Ghazali, interpreted these teachings and deemed that healthcare is a fad kafiyah, which means that it is an obligation on an entire community to ensure equal access access to healthcare. And so one could argue that under Islam, there is a moral obligation to ensure all people get the healthcare they need. Thank you so much, Ms. Kassam. Um, Father Allen, what about the, the, the Episcopal tradition? Well, I could start off with saying what everybody else said. I mean, um, we, we share a lot of, uh, we, we read one another's scriptures. Um, and um, uh, certainly, again, in our tradition is, is that, um, uh, you know, actually, in some ways, St. Paul, even though sometimes he's considered a bit of a conservative, he could at times be more radical. Uh, he actually said that the way to love God is to love your neighbor. Um, and, and uh, of course, we, we get that from Jesus, too. Jesus is quoting Leviticus. And it's interesting when you read that chapter, uh, because there's a parallel saying, it's not just loving your neighbor as yourself, it's also loving the foreigner, treating the foreigner as one of your own. Um, so it, it, it is love for both your neighbor and, and those beyond your borders. Um, our, uh, I think, too, in, in the Episcopal Church, we always talk about a three-legged stool. Any uh, every stand we take is based on scripture, tradition, and reason. Um, and all of these have to sort of, I mean, we consult all of these when we're figuring out where to take a stand. Um, and it's on that basis that uh, we see healthcare for all as an obligation we should be working towards. It's uh, one of the things we do at certain festivals every year. Uh, and 
when there's a baptism and also at certain festivals, we renew our baptismal vows. And our baptismal vows are both about loving our neighbors as ourselves, but also uh, uh, to seek justice and peace, to work for justice and peace among all people, and to respect the dignity of every human person. So um, these are all things that would, uh, and, and I think, you know, we in 2009, we did, uh, our church as a whole did already endorse uh, uh, individual payer health care uh, in whatever form it takes. Uh, we, the phrase Medicare for all wasn't so current back then, but that is the official stance of our church. Thank you, Father Charles. Uh, single payer health care, correct? Is that, single payer, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, no, thank you. That's wonderful. So hopefully, and I, my, my expectation, I think, uh, uh, is that this is going to be a theme. We're going to have a lot of agreements, but from, from uh, different rich uh, traditions and, and scriptures. So, um, Rabbi Chernow Reader, let me ask you the next question. But let me say this first for the folks who are in uh, who are joining us. Uh, again, the bottom of your screen there's a Q and A box. You should be able to pose questions yourself in that in that Q and A box, and, and our panelists uh, stand ready to to field your questions. Not just me, although I want to ask the questions for the whole hour. I'll, I'll, I promise to leave some uh, ability for others and not not hog all the questions that I have. Um, so, Rabbi Chernow, reader, we do hear, as uh, Father Allen told us, you know, that this common theme of, of loving our neighbor um, across all the traditions. But there, there are some people who will say that that obligation is just an individual one. We should just individually do charity. We should make the the commitments that we can do ourselves. Um, but, but do you see in, in, in the Jewish tradition any kind of communal obligation, especially in context of healthcare for us uh, as a community, uh, you know, as a government, which represents us to, to actually do something about this massive crisis we have? Sure. Um, and first of all, I have to say that is one of my favorite quotes. Uh, this idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves, I just put it into one of my sermons uh, a week ago. So it really is one of my favorite go-to texts uh, to teach. So um, thank you for bringing that into this conversation. Uh, for sure, Jewish uh, Judaism is very much a very communal religion, um, very much so. You know, not only as the, the one I referenced already about leaving the four corners of the field, which is throughout, uh, throughout our text and other similar texts along the ilk as well, but there's also one of our very, very highest um, values is this idea of pikuach nefesh, which is um, about saving a life. And often to save a life, that is through taking care of each other. You know, it's one of the things like, you know, we are, um, we at IHC, we've been very careful about um, doing a lot of online program. We haven't had anything in person. And when we are in person, we're all masked. And that was partly for now for us protecting the community through our own actions and, you know, being responsible about ourselves and hoping to model that for other people as well. So, you know, on the individual scale, we are very much responsible for each other, but we are also all responsible for each other on the communal level. You know, we have sayings about how we are all responsible for one another. And that really is trying to cut through some of the individualism and focus back on the fact that we are all a community and the healthier, every, the healthier everyone it is, the better it is for everyone. The more all of us are educated and have access to the basic things that we need, the better is for everyone. The more community shines, the more the community shines. You know, I don't think it's about, you know, siphoning off the resources. It's about giving them to as many people and celebrating the growth of everybody as much as possible. So 
I think that is very much deeply rooted in the Jewish tradition that we very, very much value community and not just community being ourselves, but community writ large um, and making sure that we are all um, taken care of and have access to all of the things that we need as much as possible. Thank you, Rabbi. Um, uh, and it, it, what could what could be more demonstrative of that point is an infectious disease, right? When our our, our neighbors are are sick, um, it, it whether we're out of just compassion or pure survival, we need to care about whether our neighbors are are getting the care they need. Um, before I, I let you log off completely, can I ask you um, this 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 idea of of communal obligation? And I think there's a question already in in the chat about advocacy. Um, the Reform tradition does have a an advocacy group in in DC. Can, can you share a little bit about um, what what kind of direct advocacy is done in in your tradition? Absolutely. You know, um, you know, uh, we have a very deep and long tradition of advocacy. You know, um, the prophets, so many of them, a few of which have been quoted already, have always been advocates for what they thought was important. Um, so that is, that is deeply, deeply rooted in our tradition. And often as a rabbi, as we walk the line of where and when to advocate, um, that is definitely deeply ingrained in our tradition. But there is, um, to answer your question, there's something called the Religious Action Center, um, which is part of the Union for Reform uh, Judaism, which is kind of our overarching organization. Um, and the Religious Action Center, or the RAC, as we call it, um, they do a lot of political advocacy and have done for literally decades. They work on many, many important bills, work on many, many um, very, very critical issues. They both work it on um, a state level and a federal level. You know, I spent five years living in Ohio and there was something called the Religious Action Center Ohio. So not only are we working on large federal issues, but also on local issues as well. Um, and that is one thing I think that we have learned in recent elections is that um, the local advocacy, advocacy is also very, very important and not to be overlooked. Um, so yes, that is deeply, deeply ingrained. Um, in our tradition and continues, I hope, for long, long into the future. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Um, Ms. Kassam, you, you literally, your day job is to be an advocate, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's uh, not just your, your profession, but also what you, what you say, you're, you know, what, what your faith calls you to do. Could you explain a little bit about um, um, how Islam uh, calls for you to be that kind of advocate and, and other Muslims to be that kind of an advocate? Mm -hmm. um, so similar to Judaism, uh, we, we also do have a communal obligation to provide care for those in need. Um, and I, like you said, I, my day job is to be an advocate. And I feel like for me, my, my faith has shaped so much of um, who I am in like, my career. And growing up, I didn't realize it. And when I started doing the work that I did, I didn't realize how much of an influence my faith had on me to be an advocate. So I have dedicated my career to fighting for healthcare. I'm very passionate about healthcare. Um, and in Islam, we are taught the foundations of Islam are to give and to ensure that people have equal rights. And um, for me, it was just kind of second nature. So I, I, I'm very grateful to be a part of the faith and I'm grateful to my family and to be here in DC now fighting for healthcare for everyone, especially during a time like this. Um, I'm sorry, Frank, can you just re repeat the, the question? I, I think that you, you answered, I, if okay. I could put a little bit more of a, of a point on it, this conversation you and I've had before. There are an awful lot of folks, um, 
in our healthcare professions in the U.S. who are Muslim, and they have come together as advocates um, as well. Could you could you share a little bit about what what uh, uh, Muslim healthcare providers are doing out there? Yes. So um, one thing that I have deep appreciation for are um, these free health clinics that have been established by Muslims, Muslim, um, not just physicians, but Muslim healthcare professionals um, across the nation. And um, this is so they've come together and they've established these free healthcare clinics, not just for other Muslims, but for everyone, for anyone who needs health insurance um, or who needs health care. And Fran, as you had mentioned, uh, I think you said 27 million people are uh, uninsured. At the start of the pandemic, it was 87 million were uninsured and underinsured. Um, and since then, that number has grown. And I think that these free clinics that are run by Muslims across the country are very critical during a time like this because where, where are people supposed to turn if they don't have health insurance and, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So, yeah, I, I'm very grateful to a lot of the advocates across the nation, um, not just Muslims, but people of all faiths who are coming together and supporting people during these difficult times. And, and I, I'll give a special shout out to American Muslim health professionals who have done just what, what you said, Hiba, they have, you know, they, they're seeing this firsthand. And so their, their testimony, if you will, is, is so powerful because they're, they're seeing the folks come to them who, who can't afford their care uh, and can say, we're, we're trying to do what we can do direct service, but we need to fix the overall system. Um, that's powerful stuff. Um, Father Charles, what about, uh, what about the, the communal uh, perspective from from the your tradition. Well, I mean, in a sense, we're kind of hyper communal among, especially among. You know, we don't like to even be classified as Protestant. We sort of straddle the fence between Catholic and Protestant. So we we understand all of our life to be communal. You know, we. Um, uh, we've taken it to the point that, you know, we don't do private baptisms anymore. If you're going to do a baptism, it needs to be with the worshiping community. Um, and, I mean, Christianity started out that way. After all, um, uh, one of the first experiments in socialism that we know of is in the, the community in Jerusalem in the Book of Acts, uh, where, I mean, it... it, it uh, but yeah, the idea that we, we just don't see faith as, as a private matter. Um, in terms of how, that, how we relate to the government with that, uh, we, relate, we relate to the government the way any body of conscience relates to the government. We believe that there are common truths and common goods that all of us can recognize. And we, all of us can debate about what they are, too. We're not, I'm not saying everybody already agrees with what they are, but that these are things that I, do, I don't have a right to um, simply quote my religious text and tell people they have to do what my text says. But when that, that text motivates me to talk to people and, and to convince them based on what either their traditions say or what the common sense we have and our sense of the common good that we have and to appeal to that and to work collaboratively, not just with people of faith, but with all people of conscience and goodwill. Uh, Reverend Green. 
I agree a lot with Father Allen, and I would just add, you know, from the Christian perspective, we we see it as communal. We see it as a mandate to advocate for all people and not support except the greed of a few. So we really want to see all people, and we see it as the church's responsibility because we see it as God's not concerned about our building as as much as he's uh, concerned about our building people. He's concerned about what we've done for the least of those. So it's important that we do this from a church community perspective. And in particular, from a black church perspective, many of its leaders uh, have always had a social justice uh, lens that they would look through with various texts. So they didn't just, you know, they didn't just exposit the, the text or exegete the text from uh, one lens, but one of the important lenses they would use was social justice. So they could look and say, Jesus is upset, turning over the tables. Here's why he's turning over the tables. And this is where we need to be involved as a community, not as an individual, but as a community and as a whole. So, cause within the uh, black church perspective, you see the civil rights movement, et cetera, issues that were germane, that were communal based, not individual based. Thank you, Reverend Greedif. And I, I may, maybe I can ask you um, to, to share just a little bit about a real tangible application of that, that uh, um, I was fortunate enough to, to witness when concerned clergy uh, of Indianapolis under your leadership and the Baptist Ministers Alliance, um, which is in Indianapolis, an urban-based coalition, uh, came together with a rural coalition um, in Southern Indiana, um, folks from a completely different part of our state, but came together on the healthcare issue to resist um, our governor's plans to, to really restrict our, our Obamacare expansion, what we call Healthy Indiana Plan in our state. Um, you know, how, how, did, did, how did you find common ground with, with, with that coalition? Again, I mean, when it comes to those type of uh, issues, when it's involving people, because it's easy, especially within the minority community, to say we need to be working together, regardless of where somebody's from. This is about all people. Uh, and we can have different backgrounds, but we need to work together on this issue that impacts the lives of individuals. So you can put aside rural, urban you know, age differences, all the race differences, and say this is about people and we need to do the right thing. Um, and it's something that you just practice and it has to be in your spirit if we're going to be successful with uh, when you're trying to overcome money and power, we need to be together. And if I could just add the postscript that was very successful, uh, the, the the plans by Indiana were, were completely abandoned uh, and uh, made national uh, news um, and national attention because of, of folks coming together and, and finding that common ground. So, um, the, again, the power of coalitions, uh, sometimes uh, interfaith, sometimes multi-faith, sometimes uh, across different uh, geographic areas as well. Um, so, uh, Ms. Kassam, uh, Hiba, I'll start with you, and I think this is you're the right person to start with on, on this next question, too, because it's about kind of how we do this. If we have a consensus that that we do need to ensure that our sisters and brothers get access to the medicines and care they need, if we have that across our faith traditions, um, 
you know, how, how do we accomplish it? Uh, some folks believe that we need, again, our sponsoring organizations believe in a Medicare for all system, a, a single payer government system. Uh, some folks think, well, we can do this with, with for-profit insurance companies, which you've referenced um, as well. What, what's your perspective on, the, on this and, and how does your, your faith inter- intersect with your perspective on, on that question? Um, so obviously I, I do this for a living and I, so a part of my job is to look into the private insurance companies and what's happening. And I, I just don't know how we could achieve universal healthcare or a single payer health system while keeping private insurance companies. Um, the goal for private insurers are to make profit. That is their main goal. Their their goal is not to ensure that people have the healthcare that they need um, and get the services that they need in general. So if their main goal is to make money, I just don't know how we could achieve universal care when they just want to make more money. And during this pandemic, when more than 87 million people are uninsured and underinsured, um, private insurance companies had record high for profits. Um, while people are suffering, unable to access care, they made more money. And I, with the way things are now and after the election, you know, for, for people who are fighting for a single-payer health system, we, we still have a long way to go. We, we still have a fight. And I, I'm not against working on... Um, uh, a plan to that will get us there eventually, but I just don't see how having private insurance companies will. I, I just don't see how we can achieve, achieve healthcare. And um, when talking about uh, Islam as a faith, um, you know, one of the foundations, or yeah, one of the foundations is the redistribute redistribution of wealth. And it goes against Islam to profit off of the people who are suffering. And that is exactly what private insurance companies do. They profit off of the suffering of people. Um, So personally, and as a Muslim, and as an advocate, I, I understand and recognize that they exist. And this is a system that we have, and we, we have to work towards universal healthcare. But I personally believe that we need to eliminate the, the insurance companies because their goal is to make profits. And unless we remove that, we just can't ensure that everyone will get the healthcare that they need. Um, so, yeah. Thank you very much. And um, I think if I'm, I'm, I'm at a lost track of my uh, sequence, but I think it's Father Allen's turn. Um, and if I may ask you, Father Allen, if you could share with folks the anecdote of when you had the local, you told me the story of when you had the local vote on, uh, on, on the Episcopal Church's position on a, on, a, on a Medicare for all type system. Yeah. Yeah. That, that again, that was back in 2009. One one of the things that often happens is when our our national church convention passes a resolution, <clears throat> we are often asked to pass the same resolution in each diocese. So this resolution came up in our diocese too. Uh, our bishop back then was Bishop Catherine Wainick. Um, and what I what I recall was that I mean she. Uh, the discussion about it was was pretty favorable, and she said uh, toward the end, she said, "I think this is one of those occasions where uh, instead of simply voting aye, 
or nay, that if we're going to vote yes, I want us to say hell yes. So, so that's what we did. And and again, these are these are tough conversations, and I appreciate the 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 explanation because um, many of us are are from uh, are are on this call from uh, Indiana. Uh, Indiana, we have our neighbors and and uh, sometimes congregants who work for. We got a big insurance company. We got a big drug company in, in our in our community. So it's not talking about those individuals, but the whether, as as Hibbus uh, said, you know whether we can have a system that that covers everyone when there's still that profit motive in in the middle. So, um, Reverend Green, what what's uh, your perspective on this? Well, the Christian faith tradition I'm a part of wants a single payer government healthcare system that ensures care for all. We join with the majority of Americans who want a full public health care system that eliminates the, the profit, make, uh, profit making that Habakkuk uh, has just talked about. We want to you know, eliminate the deductibles and make sure the coverage is there. I reduce it down to a simple uh, analogy as you know, we follow Jesus' example and Jesus healed leprosy, he healed other diseases, but he never charged a copay. He didn't do that. So we, we want to take a responsibility for the poor. We think it should be about the poor and not about profits. We need to be and follow the model that Jesus set. And we can't succumb to the pressure of profits or to the pressure of big businesses. Uh, Frederick Douglass once said, you can't love the Christianity of Christ and embrace the religion of the slave master. To love one is to hate the other. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Green. Uh, Rabbi Chernell Reader. Sure. Thank you. Um, I think for us, it's one of the biggest things. It's really just about this idea of caring for the community, um, that we are all uh, responsible for each other, and also empowering people to take care of themselves. You know, there's that famous story about how you can, you know, teach, get a person a fish, but if you teach the person to, uh, to fish, then they are able to sustain themselves and to be able to really care for themselves long into the future. And that really is one of our goals. Uh, from the Jewish perspective. Um, and also from the healthcare perspective, I'd love to see also just a bigger emphasis on preventative um, care and you know, catching those things early on and making, give people incentives for doing the things that will sustain them in a healthy way for the long term. So that is one of the things that I would also really love to see be more of a bigger emphasis um, healthcare-wise, ensuring that everyone can really take care of themselves um, to the best of their ability and try to head off the things that could be more damaging to them in the long term. But really, again, just this goal that we are all responsible for uh, one another. Thank you very much, Rabbi. And, and absolutely. And, and of course, the, the, the studies, the data from other, other countries and our own show that when people are not covered, uh, when they don't have good health insurance, they skip the primary care, right? They, they don't go to the, they do the, skip the preventative care and then things get really bad and things get really bad. And and they suffer, their families suffer, but also it's expensive. Um, it's it's just not the the right way to do things. There, there's a theme in the in the questions that we're getting, um, which if if I can uh, paraphrase it, is that this is wonderful that we have such consensus, and and I think that the folks on this call are pretty disproportionately activists, right? So it's wonderful to have this faith consensus that things need to change. 
Um, but how do we do it? We, we have 72% popular support for a Medicare for all type system, but we don't have a Medicare for all type system. Um, uh, you know, communities of uh, faith are, are so powerful in this country, but, but these positions that we see uniformly held here um, are not the law. So um, I, I think that um, if we start, I think it would be with Father Allen to start with, um, you know, how, how, do, how do we translate these good intentions, these scriptural mandates in, into, into real tangible change? That's a big Gee. one. Sorry. <laughs> but I will say you've got, while, while you think about it, you've got the most uh, spiritual backdrop of any of us, right? You actually look like that you're, you're, uh, you're at an altar almost. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, that is, that is a tall order. How do, you, how do you get from point A to point B when there is so much opposition and so much disinformation? Uh, about what what we're even striving for. Um, it's, I mean, one of the things I was thinking about. I, you know, again, I don't have I don't have the universal answer for this. But one of the things we need to to remember is, uh, you can't just wait every four years and focus on national elections. Um, and even, I mean, yeah, we first of all we need to focus a lot more on local politics. And on getting representation at a local level, um, because when we forget about that, then things are never going to happen in Washington D.C. either. And also, I we I think actually I'm I'm preaching to the choir here. We need to realize that voting is a very it's a very crucial, but also it's just one part of what political engagement is. So much of what we do is. Um, finding ways to stay visible and to be a voice that can't be ignored. And, um, you know, I was, I was so inspired a few years ago at another election where I was, was uh, uh, utterly dismayed. But the next day we had a meeting with some union organizers um, and we thought that, I mean, we were going to be going ahead with this meeting and with this union organizing, regardless of who had gotten elected, and even though the person I had voted for had not been elected, we realized we still had the same work cut out for us. Um, you can't just count on um, whoever the president is to make this happen for us. We can't just count on our uh, Congress people to do this for us. We, we have to do so much of this ourselves. We have to organize. Um, and I'm pretty bad at it, but I'm pretty easy to drag into it when other people take the initiative. <laughs> if I could slightly uh, disagree with you, I think that, um, uh, Father Allen, you, you have for many years in our community been an advocate for, as you, as you say, union uh, workers, but union workers um, in our, our most marginalized sector, right? The food service workers, um, uh, folks in, in janitorial services, et cetera. And can you share a little bit? Those are folks that um, uh, they, they do struggle with access to health care. It's one of the big issues that they, um, that they advocate around. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, yeah, at, usually without a union, um, the, the health care insurance is unaffordable. 
They, I mean, they may offer, the employers may offer something, but it doesn't cover much of anything. And the premiums are, are I could not live on it. I really couldn't. Um, so, uh, and one of the first benefits that, I mean, you can always be, uh, unions and, and like all organizations, they're not perfect answers to anything. But they certainly, they provide a safe space where workers can actually talk about their working conditions with their employers without fear of being uh, fired, where workers have to be treated with respect. And where things like uh, you actually do get, uh, you know, I've heard heard uh, one after another talk about once once they got the union in their company, they actually had health insurance and they could actually go to the doctor. They could do this preventive care. Thank you very much. Uh, Reverend Green. Um, I, I, obviously, I don't have the silver bullet, but I do believe that uh, across all of the different faiths, there needs to be more of a commitment to genuine conversations, keeping this at the forefront of the organizations to address the issue. I think too often it gets limited to we do a single event for quote unquote poor people when it needs to be what can we do continuously and sustain it uh, so that, yeah, it's not something that's discussed once every four years, but it's consistent. And I believe as leaders within our different faith organizations, we have to be committed to keeping this at the forefront because it's about poor people. And there are millions of people that fall in this, that are uninsured and don't have insurance, and we need to remind ourselves and our congregations every chance we get so that this is important. Because when we do that, we address what somebody seems views as important. When we want to address it, we can address it. We, we just demonstrated it by we're going to find a vaccine for the coronavirus in record time. We can do it. It just needs to be something that it is sustainable that we stay focused on it versus we've let that slide to the back of our minds or down the priority scale. And then we got to restart again. And it takes something almost drastic to happen to break it up to number one. And then can we get across the finish line before it becomes priority five or six? And I think that continues to be a challenge. And I think, you know, and from all our faith traditions, if we can find ways to keep it at the forefront remind people how important it is uh, to address this need. Because when the, the people at the top who are rich and greedy, obviously they're not going to come up with the solution. I mean, it, it comes from people who have a compassion and concern to say, we have to do this. We have to push it that way. You can't expect corporate people who have a lot of stock and making a lot of money to want to drive this because that's not going to happen greed's going to be in the way. And, and there was a question in the, in the, the, the chat that I, or the Q and a that I think um, that, that you've all addressed a little bit, but if I could be, I'll put on my law professor hat and address a little bit more specifically. It's how can faith communities be advocates like this? And, and the limitations are that, that at a faith community, you know, the, the, the example is that, you know, you, you shouldn't, you know, from the pulpit say vote for this person or don't vote for that person. This the electoral politics limitation, but faith communities absolutely can and do come together in coalition with 
with, with other organizations and with the community on issues. And uh, Reverend Green's uh, Concerned Clergy, which is the, the longest uh, standing and, and the most respected civil rights organization in, in our community, um, has for decades now, for half a century now, right, um, uh, stood up on issues of housing and economic justice and policing reform, et cetera, um, and in a very political way, um, and, and has had an enormous impact and, and has used, um, has done that from, from a grounding of a faith tradition. So there's, there's definitely faith communities can and do take real tangible action on, on issues like this uh, without any res- running afoul of the uh, IRS. Um, you can take that lawyering advice for, for, uh, for everything that you paid for. <laughs> uh, Rabbi Chernow Reader, about the, the, uh, the advocacy piece and, and how we get from these uh, good intentions and these, and these scriptural mandates to, to, to really making change. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, my answer is very similar to the ones that we've heard. Um, I think it's important for us to remember that we do have power. And especially when we are aligned, um, you know, there are issues that divide us. And I think so often we can divide ourselves or subdivide ourselves into these little little tiny groups. And like, we feel like we need to be aligned on every single issue to cooperate together. But I think that, you know, this panel shows that, you know, we all come from different backgrounds, but we are all agreed on, on these issues. And we are so many, there are so many big, big, big picture issues that we do agree upon. And I think, remember that we can join together. We can have organizations like the one that Reverend Green runs and that we can, you know, when we join together, when we stand together, when we advocate together, then and there is strength and there really is strength and power and um, we can make a difference. So I know sometimes you know, there's this great quote um, that says, you know, we're not obligated to finish the task, but we are not exempt from starting it either. And I think that especially in social justice work, that is definitely one that I live by that um, it can feel so overwhelming and we might not be able to solve the whole thing, but if we get a little bit closer or move the bar a little bit or make a little bit of a difference, then that can be a huge impact on the people's lives that are affected by it. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Um, th- there's, again, to kind of continue a little bit on this theme, but maybe drill down a little, because we do have several questions in the chat about this, and I think it reflects that, that many of us are, are living in a red state, right? A state that just um, uh, you know, it voted for Republicans for, for at every level. Um, so you know, how do we as faith communities address the, uh, the, the, the fear-mongering out there that this is, oh, big government, it's going to take away your choices, um, you know, there's going to be death panels and all those things. And so, um, Hiba, since this is your, your day job and you do work on the policy uh, more deeply than any of us, you know, if you could start off, you know, how, how what are the answers to, to that kind of, um, you know, as I think uh, Reverend Green and Father Allen and, and Rabbi Chernow Reader have said, there's a lot of very moneyed interests that are putting out arguments against change. Um, you know, what's, what's the argument or what's the response to that? Um, sorry, there, there are helicopters in the area. So sorry if you hear that in the background. Um, so I, I work within like the, the Medicare for All Coalition at the national level. We have a number of resources on this. And um, I will start off by saying that we do pay a lot for the, our healthcare system that we have currently. So we actually do pay out of our taxes now. And for people who have Medicare, um, a colleague of mine is actually, she, she's been struggling with 
the Medicare that her mother has during COVID um, because it's tied to private insurance companies. So even the government plan that we have, private insurance companies are profiting off of that. So this whole, um, I guess, argument or fear that the government is going to come in and take control. They're already, like, we are already paying for private health insurance companies. Our tax dollars are going to their profits and our people, low-income communities, communities of color, um, and even workers without unions are suffering. So we're paying for the suffering. Essentially, that is what what is happening. And um, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to say this earlier when, when I saw it in the chat, you know, something that we can do and something that all of the panelists mentioned is organize. And it, it's very critical to organize at the, the local level. And we have, and I can share resources. There's um, uh, an effort by Public Citizen, a national group, um, for passing local resolutions on Medicare for All. And I'm happy to, to share the website and they have a number of resources on this. And um, I think it would be great if, if um, people at the local level, and you, this could be done in red states, um, you know, get involved and organize these local, around these local resolutions and cities and counties across the nation are passing local resolutions saying they support Medicare for All. Also, um, even for, for the red states and uh, people who have a different political view, you know, Fran, you had mentioned at the beginning of this um, that Medicare for All won during this election. And the polling is showing, it was actually a, a conservative poll that showed, the conservative national poll that showed that the majority of Americans support Medicare for All. 72% of Americans, whether they are independent, independent Republicans um, or Democrats, are in support of Medicare for all. So I think that most people, it's it's just the way that it's framed. And and honestly, the, the big lobbies, they, they have the money and they're doing a really good job. That's essentially what it is. Um, so I think if we organize at the local level and we have the right resources and we, we use a different type of framing, I think more people will, will come around to a single payer health system. Because like I said, we're already paying for a healthcare system that is not covering everyone. So, and I can right. drop the link for the medical, the Medicare for all resolutions. Thank you, you're way ahead of me on that. Yeah, and, and, and uh, <laughs> those will, will reference the, the many, many studies that show that Medicare for all, um, we, we pay quite a bit more as uh, to Hibba's point, we pay quite a bit more for our system now than we would if we, um, got rid of the profit motive in the middle. And and in the chat, I'm not sure everybody can see that, but we did have a response that in West Lafayette, Indiana, they have a, a local resolution um, that uh, taking advantage of, of these resources to push um, a resolution in their own uh, city council. So um, I... Uh, Fran, you're muted. That's probably uh, sometimes for the best that I get muted, but in this case, I should be heard. Uh, Father Allen, what do you think about this uh, this idea of responding to, you know, the, the the counterpoints, the the arguments out there that this is going to be, you know, take away our freedoms, take away our um, uh, the the independent free market system. Well, I. You know, what's, what's weighing on me so much now these days is, um, I mean, I already said that, that our, our church prizes scripture, tradition, and reason. And one of the things that really is getting assaulted these days is reason. Um, 
I love the information we can supply that corrects people. What is dismaying to me right now is how unwilling people are to even consider evidence or information or studies or, you know, I mean, that just what's going on about about the people who think that that uh, Trump actually won the election um, is is. Uh, I am just so worried about what are, are we are we entering a pro post truth post rationality era? Are we entering an, an era when when we can't actually talk about what well-attested facts are and what well-attested science is telling us. Um, I mean, we've got to, I don't know, we, we've got to do a lot of work about how do you have genuine, uh, reasonable discourse about what is going on in our country and about what, uh, what these positions really are. Um, I don't know that that's, that's not really answering your question directly. It's basically, it's, it's, it's the, the, the unease that your question raises for me. Um, you know, um, I'm doing what, you know, I, I'm a campus chaplain, so I, I'm working with students. I'm always encouraging to them to say, you know, try peer reviewed sources. Don't think that a Google search counts as research. Um, you know, or that your Facebook newsfeed counts as that. But there is, there's, I mean, we do what we can, and, and frankly, it's worth praying about. Amen to that. And uh, I, that reminds me of the old saying that uh, you are entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. But we, we have an era where people are choosing their own facts. And, and Facebook and social media are allowing us, right? When we when we click on a couple of different sites, it's going to only give us others that will reinforce uh, our beliefs, whether they're accurate or not. Um, Rabbi Chernow, reader, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, similar, you know, and I would say one of the, I, I know we're veering ever close to, to um, eight o'clock, so I'll make this brief, that um, I do think that one of our highest Jewish values is to not separate ourselves from our community, but to deeply be immersed in and care for our community. Um, and I think there's many, many ways to do that. But I think one of the biggest ways we can do that is ensure that everyone has their basic needs, including and especially healthcare. So um, I do hope we can get to a day when um, when all people have what they need and have the health care that they need. And hopefully through conversations like this and many more, we can bring us closer to that. Um, Reverend Green, you've been an advocate for, for, for many years on, on health care issues and some other issues. I mean, how, how do we counteract the, the false narratives out there? Um, I think we just have to be diligent in challenging people not to be selfish we're living in a very selfish time. So, and information on social media, other platforms, somebody can always give you information to support your fallacy if it's completely false. Um, and so we're going to challenge people to say what's best for the whole. And when we do that, then we, then we got to be concerned about all people, not just my personal thing that I enjoy. Or I have, I've got to be thinking about others. I got to love other people. And once we, if we can, and that's the part of, that's the huge challenge is to get people to do that. I think we're, um, you know, it's a period of time where you, you just wonder, I'm like Father Allen, you just wonder because people can make anything the truth now. And it's very, very concerning. 
um, because, you know, they are operating off different facts. They're just making up a fact. And you can start a movement with something you just made up, and it's scary. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, I want to say that beyond just talk, we are taking action today. The, the, every attendee is, should see in their uh, poll, and the poll is really very straightforward and simple. Is, is your faith community already taking action on healthcare justice, on Medicare for all? Um, and are you interested in being engaged with all of the different advocacy that's already going on? So um, it is 7.57, so I want to be mindful of time. So I'd like what I'd like to do is give our panelists a chance to uh, we, we've commandeered them with our own questions, but if they have something they'd like to say in summing up, um, let's go around the horn for that. And I think that uh, I think that it will reverse order from our first question. We, uh, Father Allen, then Hibba, then Rabbi Cherno, Reader, then uh, Reverend Green. With all the anxiety I may have said a few moments ago, let's just take a moment to celebrate what we do have, and that we do have multi-faith coalitions, gatherings, where we actually are coming together to work for common values and the common good. Wonderful. Uh, Ms. Kassam. Um, definitely agree with that. Um, and despite a lot of the the things that have happened in this country over the last few years, I, I do have hope and um, I am grateful for organizers and activists who are fighting for healthcare and all, all of these issues for the betterment of this country and all communities. So I'm, I'm hopeful and I, I want to repeat what was said in the chat and earlier, organize, organize, organize and I'm, I'm forever an organizer, organize your workplaces, organize your schools, organize as much as possible at the local level. It makes a difference. I was gonna say something really similar that we have power and to not forget that we have power. And part of the way we show our power is through organizing and we have made change through organizing and to remember that there are so many issues that unite us. And when we focus on that, it can be inspiring and uplifting and it really can make change. So let's focus on, on that. And then together we really can do some good. I just want to say we have to organize. We have to continue to do the fight. Uh, Dr. King was right when he said of all the forms of in inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhumane. And so we have to make sure our voices are heard. Well, this is where I miss uh, not being in person because we'd have to have a, rounding, uh, a, a rousing round of applause for our panelists, but thank you so much. I'll, I'll do it and I think folks will do it on their own. These are just wonderful sentiments to close with. Thank you. And, uh, and very inspiring to hear this multi-faith commitment, very inspiring to hear all these opportunities. And then, and you all gave us a great call to action. We need to go forward and, and uh, be inspired from tonight, be inspired by the victories that the faith communities have earned in the past and know that we've got work to do and our sisters and brothers are counting on us. So thank you very much to our panelists. Thank you to everyone who attended. Um, good night and please be connected to all of our organizations and, and let's go forward and, and let's win this thing.
This has been an episode of Heart of a Heartless World, a podcast produced by the Religious Socialism Working Group of the Democratic Socialists of America. This episode was produced by Jeremy McMahon with intro music by Party Dark. You can follow Religious Socialism on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit our website at religioussocialism.org. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon.